Hey guys, you miss me? No? Yes? Okay, whatever. Here we go again. Welcome to another episode of Through Artistic Eyes. Uh, waiting for the focus to happen on the guest here. Oh, there he goes. He's back. Anyway, I am your host, Christopher D. Casson. Some call me the artistic guru, in particular, a certain previous guest, but you know, he's not here right now. So instead, we have a certain, certain other person who has his own little nickname as well, as you could see here for those joining live, the visibility strategist, also sometimes called the America's Warrior Strategist. He is Dr. Rob Garcia, and he is a visibility expert uh, based around the San Diego area. He failed out of high school and two colleges due to rampant ADD, attention deficit, deficit disorder, and probable mild autism that he's noted here. He's joined the Air Force and Air Force and ended up finishing his doctorate in education after identifying his learning style that works best for him, which we will go over. And as of where he is right now, he is now the owner of Shift, Shift Magazine and an eight-time author. So I thank you again so much for joining me here tonight. Thanks so much, Chris. It's it's exciting. You know, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time. You and I have had some great conversations about the topic of uh, autism, learning disabilities, and um, mm -hmm. and how it's actually a superpower in many cases. So we're going to have some some definite great uh, conversation pieces. And a couple of times when I made you laugh your ass off, a few, oh, maybe a lot. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, I just. Wanted to first ask about, you know, because, uh, wait, you said you had probably mild autism. Is that a self-diagnosis or do you know for certain from getting diagnosed later on? It's, it's a self-diagnosis uh, for mm -hmm. sure. I've never, I've never uh, been diagnosed by a professional, but I have many of the characteristics. Um, and they've gotten actually more severe as I got older, believe it or not, which is strange. No, no. Huh. Yeah, I already know about how some people in the autistic community have a certain opinion about self-diagnosis, especially with that one comedian that did and started proclaim, claiming himself autistic, and that kind of rubbed some people off the wrong way. But you know what? That's just down here now, and you know that's up to them to decide. But um, and I know during your childhood, you end up, you know, not doing well well in uh, high school and college. And I was kind of curious since you did end up finding out you have ADD, attention deficit disorder. So why don't you briefly go over what exactly that is and how it affected you with uh, growing up and what lessons have you taken out of your childhood in terms of, you know, how do you navigate around this ADD? Well, the biggest thing was I was always that kid that kept being told to pay attention. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't hyperactive, but I couldn't focus in a classroom. And I had a, a stellar reading level. I could read uh, probably two to four grades above the, the grade I was always in. Uh, I was reading all the time. I was using very big vocabulary words correctly. So it was, um, I, I was a smart kid, but only in certain, certain areas. I was very poor in math because I couldn't focus on the equations. Um, I got okay. I couldn't either. I, I couldn't either. <laughs> I just. Yeah, it, it's. 
it, it really just got to me trying to uh, figure out how it worked and it didn't interest me. Because one thing about being on the spectrum is you will tune out the things that don't interest you. You absolutely will just, I don't give a shit. You know, mm. you're just not going to learn it if, if it doesn't appeal to you. And then the characteristic that we have that's interesting is that we tend to hyper-focus on the things we do like. So if we mm. are something, whether it's a TV show or a particular toy or, you know, Iron Man in my case or whatever, we will hyper-focus on it to an almost obsessive level because we just love whatever it is. And that's, sometimes it's good, mm. sometimes it's bad. Um, right. So I, I, I got older and I got into high school and my, my ninth grade report card was straight D's and F's. Like I just mm. wasn't into learning. And I got to the point where the teacher would start talking and maybe six minutes in, I would completely tune them out. And I've done this almost my entire life. And it's gotten worse as I've gotten older. And this did not help me in the military, mm. for sure. Um, mm. So this was why I failed high school the first time uh, I got to college and I did really well. This is going to interest you, Chris, because I studied electronics and I did really well at the visual identification of components. Like I can crack open a circuit board and tell you exactly what every part is and what it does visually. But at the equations and the math stuff, as soon as I got to transistors, I was getting host because it's past uh, mm. algebra and it's like pre-calc. And I was just getting destroyed in the classroom. So mm. I failed out of two colleges uh, for electronics and then I joined the Air Force. Um, and I almost failed out of my Air Force tech school as well. It was very long. It was like nine mm. months long. It was two schools. It was just, it was a lot to learn. Um, mm. And then I just did my job for a couple of years, started going to college and it gave me the, the structure I needed and then I started to realize that, that I had a real problem with learning, like in my, you know, my mid twenties when I was in the air force. So what exactly made you join the military in the first place, join, join the air force in particular and how, so, it, and how exactly did that alter how you create that strategy that made you be able to navigate through, through life a bit more better later on? What, it's a great question. Um, I needed stability at the time. I was 19. I was sleeping on the floor and I couldn't afford meat. Like I was really poor. And um, the Air Force is looked at as the smartest branch of service. You know, not my words, just the way that everybody's always told me, even other, other uh, veterans. Um, so that means quality of life is the way I look at it. I don't necessarily think they're the smartest branch of service. They do have the highest testing requirements to get in. But it's, it's more of quality of life, how they treat their members, um, the, the amenities that they give us. Uh, Air Force chow halls are legendary because they, for a reason, they, they put money into, um, into the way that they treat us and the schools they send us mm -hmm. to. Um, so I joined because I wanted to have a good life. I wanted uh, discipline and structure, and it gave me all that. It, it helped me. Chris, honestly, it just helped me to know some stability and some certainty in my life, which I didn't have. Hmm. Okay. So, I don't know. I keep thinking all the description. I keep think for some reason, I keep thinking the movie Top Gun for some reason. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yep, there goes my mind right, right there. And when I was going through college, uh, you know, I was going through computer animation, which you think 
yeah, that's a lot of mathematics and all that other stuff. And yet I was getting B's and A's to it. And, and I barely passed private C's with algebra and trig and all this other stuff. And even one time where uh, it was during community college where the te- the professor was saying how important math is for doing the animation, the computer stuff that we were doing. And one of them popped up and said, we haven't used that at one once at all. And it's like, and that, she was just shocked to hear that. But for me, it was just more understanding visually where instead of me just looking at numbers, because every time I try to do math problems and trying to mem- memorize it, that's really what education seems like. It's just memorization, not actually learning, but that's neither here nor there. But it always feels like it's like, like parts of it every time I try to screenshot it in my mind it's like parts of it are erased so it's almost impossible for me to even to to learn through that way I'm wondering if that's kind of the same with you or if it's just like or if you're just like those dogs in the Pixar movie up with uh, okay this is oh squirrel so you know you hit on something very important and um Rote memorization works for analyticals, but we are creatives. And I read a book about learning styles that completely changed the way that I looked at everything. Um, Creatives aren't always great at math. Creatives aren't always good at equations. Creatives are good at hands-on stuff, which is why you like computer animation if you could like actually do it with your hands and create stuff. But if you don't understand the application of math and equations and how it works in conjunction with then it becomes very boring, very tedious, very quickly. Now, somebody in ninth grade had come to me and said, oh, hey, Rob, uh, skateboarding uses the metric system. This is how you measure the concave of a skateboard using a protractor and degrees. There's geometry and trigonometry. And then here's your- You lost me right there. Yeah. But see, if they drew a diagram of a skateboard, which I love doing, then I would have understood the math better. This is an example of using math in conjunction with something that's physical and kinetic something that we put our hands on that we can, we can use. So um, I ended up writing my doctoral thesis on project-based learning, which is learning by doing. And Mm -hmm. I found out that a lot of times um, when people are learning engineering, working in teams is, is a better way for them to learn uh, with, with better, um, with better results, you know, creating projects hands-on. Like if I'm going to learn electronics, I need to have a lab or I need to have something to where I understand why I'm learning the math stuff along with the, you know, the project building. And so that's what, that's what helped me as I got older, but you're right. We, we tune out the math stuff. If we don't, if it's not, if there's no frame of reference, like, Hey, why the hell do I need to know this? Like, what am I going to do with this? Equations are freaking worthless. If you don't understand why we have to learn them. Yeah. Just a way to, connect the dots but a lot of times we just seem to value so much of the analytical education instead of the hands-on why why do you think that is in your opinion because it's all geared for the traditional and i'm not trying to get too heavy in the educational theory but it's Hmm. all of our schools high school is just a pathway to get us into college we take the sats we we you know get standardized tests every year and it's just to kind of rate what college we're going to go to. But the problem with that is that colleges only reward analyticals. Um, Mm. 
this means that most colleges are geared for your, you know, your pilots, your engineers, your doctors, pre-med, all that stuff. Um, and which is why they, they put such an emphasis on math and physics. And I'm not saying that we don't need to have that. You know, I want my pilot to have math classes and to be a damn good student. Let's not, uh, let's, let's as well as building our airplanes and whatnot properly right. instead of haphazardly. Right. I want the engineer making the bridge I'm driving across to probably be the top in their class. <laughs> yeah. So there are and needs. Not a, and, and not a C average that just barely passed by, by and right. yet has the PhDM against the name kind of thing. Right. So one thing that's important, Chris, is that if somebody self-identifies as a creative and they, they understand mm -hmm. that they're better at the creative aspects. And let me define this. A creative is someone that makes things, they make websites, they draw a lot, they're artistic, they sing, they, they sculpt. A creative is a lot more actually closer to liberal arts than they are to like, you know, the, the STEM stuff, engineering, uh, uh, you know, pilot training, math, all that shit. Um, mm. Entrepreneurs are awesome if they're creatives. And you mm. get some people that are good at both. They're high aptitude, like computer science, you know, people that do programming, coding, all that shit, they got some really good tech skills. And that's kind of a hybrid. That's a daywalker like Blade, you know, they're, they're, Blade, Blade was a, a vampire, but he could go out in the, in the, in the day and not, not turn to ash. And so some people are hybrids of creative analyticals like Elon Musk, somebody that's really, mm -hmm. really smart, but they're also creative on the computer side, but they can be analytical on the tech side. And those are, those are very interesting people mm -hmm. to, to study. So... How would you figure out whether you're analytical, creative, or maybe a combination of both? How, how would you figure, figure it out? Is it just working it, just working it out as you go, or is there a sure sign way of really being able to tell? The book I read, Successful Intelligence, by I think it was Robert Sternberg, really defined the three learning types. And there's, it, it's creative, analytical, and practical. Practical is like street smarts, you know, can you assess a situation and kind of thrive in it? Um, analytical means you only have one solution to any problem. A creative is somebody that can come up with 20 solutions to a problem. Analyticals are very logical. Like they are straight up, like this is the truth, this is not the truth. Whereas creatives can find gray areas, they can see things, they can, they can they're much better problem solvers because they have a wider range of acceptance for certain things. Whereas mm. uh, analyticals, this is why they're good at math. Like they straight up, it's just, it's, it's very Mr. Spock. It's like, yes or no. And I think it's also important to note that one is not better than the other, really. Right. And, and yeah, after that description, yeah, I'm a creative. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't, I've just always been that way with sketching, drawing and all this other, other stuff. and. Uh, and um, you know, last I checked, you know, I'm on the autistic spectrum, but I don't have a. As far as I know, I don't have ADD, uh, attention deficit disorder. So, from your own experience of uh, growing up and going into the entrepreneurship world, um, what what are the strengths of ADD in that kind of you know entrepreneurship and business world, and in comparison to you know all the other traditional stuff. Like how is it a superpower? Yeah. Um, because when you think attention deficit, what you think you would have to be focused on 
some aspect, but at the same time, um, no, I'm just, I'm just going to be quiet and just listen for a moment. Oh, that's all right, man. This is actually very cool because what you're doing, you're free forming and free associating questions and, and, and concepts, and it's a good thing. Mm. Um, so I came up with some pros and some cons of, of mm. people that are on the spectrum, whether it's ADD, ADHD, and um, dyslexic, whatever. And some yeah, of the you mean you mean you mean neurodiverse? Yeah, neurodiverse yeah. is a great way to put it because that's that's the umbrella that everything falls under. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the pros, you will be hyper focused on certain things if they interest you. If it's something you've accepted in your brain that you really like, you will find everything uh, about that, and you will be a, a very good expert. Uh, meticulous level of detail. Think about any project you've been on where you've been hyper-focused and you're really, really into it. You will absolutely just, that will be the, the most important thing in your world. Um, zone of genius is overdeveloped. A lot of times neurodivergence, what it, which whatever field they're in, they are unbelievably good at what they do. They just have a, a wider scope of understanding uh, than normies do. Um, good memory of obscure things. So some, some people that are neurodivergence are very good at bar trivia. They can remember certain just crazy <laughs> things from their childhood or a TV show they saw yeah. in too. Um, yeah, like for, for me, for instance, uh, when I was in the roller coasters, I remembered, I memorized every single theme park and every single state that had a roller coaster, whether it be a kiddie coaster or like a typical, what you tend to think of roller coaster, but it's been a while, so I know it that info's out of date at this point, but yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, the whatever it is, our thing, we know more about it than almost anybody, which is great. And then the quality of our work that we do that's in our zone of genius is very, very high. We will, we will create exceptional things if, if we allow it within our, um, our little world. So those are some of the quirks, the, the positives. Now, as far as the negatives go, uh, some of us are socially awkward. Some of us um, are a little lacking in the personal skills. Maybe it's hard to look people in the eye. Maybe they don't like being touched. Uh, maybe they don't like uh, proximity, like being close to people, um, both physically and emotionally. <laughs> uh, relationships can be kind of tricky. Um we don't understand contextual clues sometimes. Like we don't understand context of something. Maybe we've got to have it explained mm-hmm. in a way. And I'm, as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot better at saying, I don't understand the way you put that. Can you give me some more detail? Uh, for example, like somebody will send me a Facebook messenger request or like a, a sentence or two, and they will give me almost no info and, and just um, mm-hmm. ask me a question or, or something. And I, I have to say, I need some detail. I don't know what the F you're talking about. And then there might be sensory perception issues. That's a con as well. You know, loud noises, bright lights, a lot of people and shit. Um, yeah, that's one of the that that's one of the cons. So understand when you're dealing with a neurodivergent, um, these are things that will pop up, and there's both good and bad. But you might have a fucking mm. genius on your hands. You might be dealing with somebody that's really really smart, but there will be some little quirky things you're gonna have to you know accept as well. Or just a different way of how they perceive and how it could benefit, really. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so, um, well, next thing is that how exactly would someone know it if it's how, when either going into a business or going into a business meeting or 
whatever it is you're doing in entrepreneurship, but of how they really adapt into that group setting. Because like you said, um, uh, I tend to be the guy that just sits quietly in the corner, even though I should be meeting and greeting, you know, different people at like, uh, like conventions or, or, you know, just big public spaces. And I was wondering of, you know, how exactly you overcame that as you were going through this journey and just, you know, being in the Air Force and having to deal with, you know, uh, but you, you get you get what I mean. I don't mind me. I'm just yeah. How do I how do I overcome the the shyness? How do I overcome the awkwardness of meeting new people? Is what you're asking, mm -hmm. and, and it's yeah. I deal with this when I deploy to Korea because almost every time I go there, it's an entirely new crew of, of officers and enlisted. So I'm meeting strangers almost every year. Um, the biggest thing is to show genuine enthusiasm for them and to remember to ask more questions about them versus telling them about you. Sometimes neurodivergence, I've met a few that'll just ramble and it's, it goes into that social awkwardness shit. Where if you're if you're saying more than three sentences at a time in a conversation, or you're cutting people off or not letting them talk, you're being an asshole. And I've caught mm -hmm. myself before. I, I thank God I have like the internal filter. It says, okay, you talked a little too much. Ask them a question. So mm -hmm. asking asking personal questions um, that are constructed and that are smart. You know, what do you like best about your job? Or hey, you know, what do you do? Or what's what's one of the cool parts about your job? You know, things like that. Like really. Or or even just, uh, you know, how how would you how would you view this problem? What 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 suggestions do you have? And just kind of integrate them instead of just you know, like it tends to happen to me with just me just sitting there while they just talk to each other and not really in integrate me into it. Like they expected me to just jump jump in whenever when I'm I'm just not that kind of person really necessarily. Especially since every time I try to do that, it just feels like I'm rudely interrupting when I don't mean, mean to do that. I just can't tell when exactly is the right time to jump in without feeling like I'm offending someone of, oh, you're inter interrupting what I'm saying, you know? Yeah, it, it's, it's all contextual in the sense that mm -hmm. if they're strangers, you know, you wait till there's a lull in the conversation or you maybe wait until it's broken up a little bit. Um, but if they're people that you know, then you could say something like, hey, Gary, um, remember when you did this? You know, could you tell that story again? You know, ask them something that you know about that'll get them talking. And that will include you if you start a, you know, a story prompt for sure. Mm. Okay. So I also know that, you know, later on uh, through all these different experiences, you and plus uh, as well as reading a book that, you end up developing this new learning style and as, as a way of being able to ad adapt your ADD into the world, which tends to, seems to only value the neurotypical analytical, even though we love to preach about how we are inclusive when it seems more like, in my opinion, it's more, we are inclusive as long as it's, a, about including me and, you know, me, me, me kind of thing, but that's another topic altogether. But how did you develop this alternate methodology and what exactly did it? How did you figure out what worked for you, what didn't work for you, and how can someone else can take that strategy, the 
help them as they, if they decide to go on the entrepreneurship journey, this, even when having a ADD or dyslexia, autism or anything else uh, neurodiverse? So the first thing is to understand how do you input information? You know, there's visual learners, there's auditory learners, there's tactile, which means working with hands. Um, when I started figuring out speed learning, I started seeing it, it just hit me one day and I was like, oh, I learn better when I can draw diagrams and use colors. And when I can do that, mm. as simple as that is, if I can do that, I have focus. I can focus on what I'm doing. I can have fun with it. I can make animal faces. Mm. I can do stupid shit that appeals to my childlike nature. And so what I ended up doing, I wrote a book called The Next Level Supercharged. And this was the last book I wrote. But what this is, this is 16 learning methodologies that I isolated. And it has, it just has different ways of, um, of learning things that a, a, a neurodivergent will probably benefit from. And so the first thing is to understand, okay, do I learn better from reading? Do I learn better from watching videos? Do I learn better from podcasts that are just audio? And once you start to understand that, um, you'll, you'll be able to take information a lot better. So the two ways that I learn mm. is I take notes when I'm you know, learning something and then I close my eyes. And I've seen you do this, Chris. I close my eyes when I'm, when I'm um, talking to people or if I'm listening to podcasts so I can really take in what's going on. And when, when a neurodivergent closes their eyes, people think they're falling asleep which is, which is kind of funny, but really what they're doing is yeah. they're filtering out all other stimuli so that they can completely focus. And the normal world doesn't understand this. So if mm -hmm. you're talking to a neurodivergent and they close their eyes when they're talking to you, as long as they're not snoring, they're really trying to, they really are interested in what you're seeing. They're just trying to, to completely shut out everything so they can just take it in auditorially, which is a lot more people should understand. Yeah, especially I like to describe it as everyone else uh, takes in the world in HD. Well, we tend to take everything in 4K resolution or 8K resolution. And it, it takes time for the mind to process it all. And sometimes someone's saying something and it takes me a while for what they said that finally registered because it's trying to process everything else around me at the, at the same time. So it's, yeah. Uh, and... Uh, don't mind me. I coffee starting to wear out. You know, take a sniff of the bald eagle candle from the group that you host for uh, veteran entrepreneurs. It's Dude, let's give them a shout out. It's a great company. Yeah, yeah, it's a great company. Uh, bald eagle candles, veteran owned, like over a thousand different scents. Some very nice, like uh, Christmas memories coffee shop, and then really, really weird ones like napalm in the morning for those yep. you know there are people out there that are wonderful in their own way so there you go bald eagle candles you can check it out at baldeaglecandles.com and no i didn't get paid for the sponsorship which there wasn't i just decided to do it spontaneously to see how it goes and you know what i like doing doing that so there you go anyway so let's get into more on the business strategy side. So what exactly, you know, you started running your own way. So what exactly drew you next towards, you know, 
business strategy and business, uh, you know, visibility. So I take a person or a business and a lot of people think that I just do PR and PR is public relations. I, and I'm a lot more than that because through the use of autodidactic learning, which is a fancy way of saying self-taught, I taught myself how to do press releases. I taught myself how to write business articles. I taught myself how to pitch the media. I taught myself how to create a magazine, Shift Life Design. So by combining all these things, I can create these visibility packages that get my clients a lot more uh, visibility than using a traditional PR agency. So for example, I'll take somebody and I will write a couple articles about them. Then I'll blast it out to LinkedIn and Twitter with hashtags. Then I'll issue a press release against them. So it gets hosted on all the major media sites. And then I'll uh, reach out and I'll um, pitch news stations. So we just had the announcement today that another client got picked up and is going to get a story run on them on Fox. Uh, Mike at Mike's Damascus Knives. So I got the, that call today. That was awesome. Um, so that's, that's what I, I do. Uh, I just hyper-focused on a couple of areas of things that I like doing and I combine them all to make a, a great business. Hmm. So when you do the strat with promoting, usually people automatically think of, you know, social media, social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, in Instagram, uh, TikTok now recently. And they always tend to focus more on that and yet always disregard stuff like that. Uh, news press releases or news channels so why should why do you believe that um you know there needs to be a combo or why people think too much on the social media side and not anything else why is that i think there's room for all of them and hmm. a lot of people just they deal with experts when they hire a PR agency, they just deal with somebody that can only do press releases or only do, you know, me, uh, media outbound media. But I think that if you apply those five to seven areas to any one person, it's far more reach and it's, it's better. It's, it's better for their Google searchability as well, because they're going to show up in so many hmm. more places for SEO. Hmm. Okay. So, um, I'm waiting for my mind to stop pausing right there so awkwardly in the middle of a podcast since it tends to happen to me. Uh, okay, so. And, you know, and uh, do you believe that this is the number one mistake that you find people make when developing, you know, such business strategies? Uh, or what do you believe is the number one mistake people tend to make that makes you just want to, face palm yourself right through the right through the head they put out content that doesn't have relevance and they market not to their business style and let me give you a really specific example so believe it or not chris the first thing i do when i talk to somebody is i make a visibility plan that's based on their business model and nobody ever thinks mm -hmm. this way they just think oh if rob just gets me on joe rogan or if rob just gets me on the news or gets me in a magazine i'm gonna be famous and everything's going to be unicorns and puppies and rainbows, but that's not how it works. And this is what I mean. So you forgot pixie dust. Well, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is how it works. Some people can only sell in a, a radius of where they live. Mm -hmm. Right. So like if you have an auto detail or a brick and mortar, you know, tamale cart or some shit, um, 
you only need to market to your local area. And that's what I call the local mm -hmm. celebrity strategy. That's going to be different than say somebody that's bald eagle candles that can ship candles to anywhere in the country. So now mm -hmm. you've got a different type of company and you can niche it out, which means bald eagle candles. I can get them featured in a candle magazine. I can get them featured on candle podcasts. I can pitch mm -hmm. them to the news anywhere in the country. And now the owner's a veteran. So I can pitch any veteran media. So those are two very different visibility strategies. And then if you get somebody who's certified in a state, so a real estate agent, doctor, lawyer, mm -hmm. they can only serve clients in the state that they're in. So they're going to have a strategy that's just state-based for media. So as you can see, there's a lot more to this than what people think, which is just, oh, get me on you know, TV or get me on the news or something. I'm like, well, how is that going to help your sales? You know, does it... Yeah link up with your your business model and how you sell as well as knowing much who your audience is in the first place nailed it yeah so how would you you know i've heard different opinions on you know figuring figuring out what that is and one from a previous guest i remember taking one of his courses and him stating that you really need to be very 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 specific on who your audience is in the first place so what are, what are your, your pieces of advice of figuring out who your audience actually is? Because we tend to think just the whole pie in the sky, throw spitballs at the wall and hope something sticks kind of thing. Yeah, you're talking client avatar. And you can mm -hmm. find that out by either um, reviewing who's bought your stuff in the past or look at all your clients and see if there's anything in common. My client avatar mm -hmm. is a veteran between usually a male between 38 and about 55, um, most of them are on the conservative side and they own a business. Most are goods-based and they, they need help growing their, um, their sales because they're really good at the production and manufacturing part. You know, they can make candles or wood pieces or stickers or clothes or whatever, but they're not as good at the marketing, the branding, the PR, the visibility, and they don't know how to do their social media very well. Um, mm. So this is where I come in because I look at their business model. I look at who they're selling to. I look at who their audience is and I look at what they're putting out there. And then I can, I can teach them like, Hey, if you're selling to veterans, start speaking the language of veterans. You know, we understand all veterans know what an MRE is. We know what a formation is. We know what a TDY is like all these little things that civilians might not get. But if you start speaking that language in your social media and business posts, Veterans are going to see it right away and they're going to recognize it mm. and they're going to be in eyes front. Like, hey, I get it. So, yeah, since you discussed veteran entrepreneurs, you also end up creating a close knit family group of veteran entrepreneurs that tend to meet on Zoom. Uh, I know because I'm a part of it that you were kind of that let me join the weirdness of it at times. That's <laughs> well. I swear there's some weird stuff that happens, but you know what, it's, it's all good fun, but what prompted you to cre create that in the first place, the create that close knit community and what brought about the whole shift, uh, shift magazine as well. Shift magazine. Uh, I, I originally thought, okay, if Tim Ferriss had a magazine, what would it look like? And I knew it was going to be veteran friendly, but it's not veteran centric. What I mean by that, even though it's all Air Force members that are on the staff and veteran owned, 
we focus on business entrepreneurship and just shifting into a better version of self. So it's not necessarily a military magazine at all. It's more about top performers. Um, I love writing. I love telling people stories. Shift gives me that outlet to do that. Um, it's very challenging owning a magazine and having a production schedule and you know selling advertising, all that shit. But I also love it. And I, I've never complained. It, it's been a great life, a great run. I'm still going strong. I, I love the the prestige and the, you know, the ability to make people famous through it. Um, mm. The reason I started these veteran groups or these, these Facebook groups where the weekly calls is just to give people a place to go if they feel like they're going at it alone in business. And you know, my calls, they're not, they're half personal, they're half business. We talk about family, mm. we talk about, you know, struggles, we talk about real shit. Um, so it's not your traditional networking call. Uh, I like to feel that I, I'm kind of the glue that holds everybody together. And I encourage people that are awkward or that don't feel like they have a place in the entrepreneurial world to come check out a call and, and hang out. And, and Rob's, Rob's dinner table is always mixed. There's a little bit of everybody. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be veteran, uh, veterans. It can be civilians. It can be anybody. Just, you know, just be cool. Be respectful. That's, that's my only thing. Like, don't be an asshole. Hmm. Okay. So I was – I was always going back and forth between, you know, how it's popular with some people like doing YouTube videos like vlogging or blogging. And then you mentioned magazine. So I keep going back and forth between those, those three. And, you know, what are those differences and what ultimately led you to just go magazine ultimately instead of, you know, just like a lot of people making their own blogs. What, what exactly? I understand how the process works. I really like writing stories and I, um, and I can use it in conjunction with my business. So if somebody hires me, I can give them shift coverage immediately. Um, the cool thing is, Chris, if somebody doesn't have a lot of interviews under their belt, shift is a great uh, foundational step. It, it's a great first step for their first interview. Then we start looking at podcasts, then we start local news, and then it just builds up. And in some cases, it builds up very quickly, which is great. I've got friends that do radio. I've got friends that have podcasts. I've got friends that also have magazines. Um, All this stuff allows me to create very robust visibility packages for clients. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Yeah, sorry, having a... We had time to have a brain fart moment. <laughs> so it's just. Uh, yeah, right now I'm just waiting for my mind to just silence itself because it's like trying to, like, like everything trying to say it all at once and you just want to yell, just shut the hell up and let me just hit one. But, uh, let's see, yeah. So if, if you want, Chris, I can talk about the book a little bit, and just some of the strategies I came up with that can help alternative learners. Um, yeah, like right now, I could do some help right now. Um, so in this book, and it took me a couple of years, I actually released three versions of it and as I kept getting more and more content. Um, but I realized that there are different learning methodologies that appeal to different learning styles. And so some of these, for example, um, one of the ways you can learn stuff, okay, formal education, you know, you go to college, you can take a class, you can take a vocational class. Um, 
repetitive practice. Now this is more for musical uh, stuff or if you're trying to learn martial arts, repetition is, is key. You have to play your instrument. You have to practice. If you're learning a language, repetition is an awesome learning technique. Um, learning method seven is creation. So I created this book. I created my magazine. I create press releases. Uh, creation is the, the key for hands-on and, and kinesthetic learning, like learning by doing is to create something. Um, learning eight is Socratic method. So ask yourself questions over and over and over again until you get to the base of whatever you're trying to figure out. Socratic questioning is a lot more powerful than people think. Um, and then one of the other ones, oh, masterminds and groups. So this is why I created these groups so that I could surround myself with people with a wide variety of skill sets and aptitude. So these are all ways that people can, can learn stuff faster. Um, hmm. If traditional learning isn't doing it for them. Hmm. Okay. So, um, so come on, work, work. <laughs> I mean, this is like, it's, it's a lot to, it's always a lot to think about. So I'm just, you know, entrepreneurship is very fast. So it's just me trying to figure out right now at this moment with doing, like doing something right now with the podcast of how to slow my mind down a bit, you know, instead of being so supercharged that I can't decipher anything in, in there. So it's. I don't know. It's sometimes feels like, you know, group saying it's always good to be around like-minded people, but at the same time, it's like, I like being in my own space so much and just, it could sometimes be a very big hurdle for me for getting out of that zone. And I imagine for a lot of people who are neurodiverse that are thinking of, you know, maybe they want to publish a book, maybe they want to start their own business, maybe they want to do this or that, but there's something that's keeping them stuck. And I was wondering if, uh, if you were, if you were ever in that position at any point in your life and just, what are your words to someone that just, you know, just overcome that, just to keep pushing forward? I've had unbelievably negative feedback for all the stuff I've wanted to do. Every single project I've ever done, there's always been somebody that's told me it's a waste of time or I shouldn't do it. All those people are miserable in their life. Um, I can honestly say that. And so it's natural to have doubts unless you're a complete sociopath. So for anybody out there that is neurodivergent and they're not sure if they can, they have what it takes to write a book or to you know, start a company or to be an entrepreneur or do whatever, um, I say go for it. The only thing you're going to lose is time in most cases, maybe a little bit of money, but you need to fail forward. You got to try stuff. You got to understand what it feels like to fail. You know, I had two businesses before I got into visibility and they, they, one did okay and one tanked and that's okay. I, I didn't take it personally. I, I, I gave it my best shot and I, I learned a lot and, and it, it strengthened my resolve for becoming, you know, who I became. So take those, take those chances, expect those losses and bounce back and stronger than ever. Hmm. Okay. I, I want to give no, it. Um, yeah, go ahead. If you think about every major company and every person that's in the news right now, they're all fucking weirdos. 
and I mean that in a positive way. Bezos, Musk, Branson, um, Gates, uh, Dorsey, the guy that started Twitter. None of these guys are quote unquote normal. They're all a little eccentric, a little bit off, probably strange to talk to in conversation. But yeah. understand, they're all neurodivergence in every typical sense of the word. And if, and if they can do it, you can do it. Uh, don't mind me. I, I think it's just the coffee crash from this morning that just delayed itself. It's like, what the hell today? It's like, oh, man, I wish I had a coffee bag that just do another random sponsor thing right now. I mean, well, lost opportunity, but no. Uh, I think right right now I just need to get some rest at the moment because I only had three hours of sleep before this, and I am amazed that I'm still running, running. But you know what? I'm an energetic guy sometimes, and you know I have no idea if it's. But you know what? I guess that's that's the thing that just keep pushing forward with whatever you want to want to do because I only have this one life. Uh, even if the, even if you do believe in reincarnation, which I do, yeah, I'm only going to have this one life as Christopher D. Casson or Robert Garcia or any any or anyone as anyone else. So you might as well just go for it under that name and just try your best. And if and just to keep pushing forward, like you said, and and. I guess even just as important, have a strategy along with it instead of just going blindly expecting things to just be all sh sunshine and rainbow farts and uh, glitter spe spectacles coming out of your eyeballs. I'm, I'm, I'm being weird right now. So, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so if they're going to have a, so say we are kind of pushing them out of that. Okay, I want to go for this. What would be the best way to start making that strategy? So the first thing to do is some research. Find examples of what's out there that you can emulate. Never copy, but emulate means you're like, oh, that's how their website's set up, or that's how their photographs mm -hmm. are taken, or that's how they're writing their blogs or whatever. You find something that's a good example, and that's a starting point. And then create a plan for growth. You do not want to get up every day and, and just hope good things happen. You have to have strategy. Um, every Sunday and Monday, I, one or the other, I go to the coffee shop and I write out what my tasks are for this week. And that, that's what helps me to grow. That's what keeps me going. Um, you don't want to figure it out as you go along. You want to be disciplined. You want to make sure that you, you understand how can you grow your company a year from now. You know, too many people aren't proactive. They just get up and hope something good happens uh, versus making something good happen. Hmm. Okay. So, man, I am just, what is wrong with me today? I am just out of it. You know, I'm sorry for this. It's just, oh boy. Yeah. Right, you're good, man. We can wrap up if you want. I mean, we made our key points. Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> so I'm just, yeah, no, I, we could uh, just 
halted here and you know if there's anything else that comes up you know i could always invite you back on whenever you know so that's the thing just even if there's always another day you know but make sure you do as the best you can within that one 24 hour period so how can people learn more about your magazine and just being able to con you know contact you if they have any questions or whatnot i'm glad you asked that uh, you can read Shift Magazine for free at shiftlifedesign.com. And if you want to contact me, you can find me uh, on my Facebook business page, or you can just email me at editor at shiftlifedesign.com. And I believe you also have a Twitter account as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Blue, at Blue Dragon Rob is my Twitter account. Thanks for the reminder. Yeah, no problem. And if you like this pod podcast episode, uh, of course, we have a Facebook page that this is also going live, but we also have a Patreon in case you want to give your $3 per month support to keep us going. And uh, it's only a cost of a cup of coffee, which is why I named it here, you know, just a cup of coffee, because that's how much it costs, as well as, uh, you know, CD casting creates for my personal stuff, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, to see what I'm up to what kind of mischief I'm up to, especially since next month I'm going on a little bit of a trip across the country, which is why there's not going to be any episodes for the first two weeks, but you know what? That's how it is. And also, of course, ChristopherCasson.com, which is where you would be able to also not only view the previous podcast episodes there, but also it's available on all the major platforms, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and et cetera. So I want to thank you so much again for joining me, even though I kind of was nodding off towards the end of it, un end of there, and I can't drink coffee because I need to wake up very early in the morning. So it's like, dang it. <laughs> I had a great time, Chris. Thank you so much. Uh, this is an interview I've wanted to do for a long time, and it's, it's uh, mm. awesome to see all the stuff that you do as well. So thank you. Yeah, and thanks again for accepting the come on. I really appreciate that. And of course, tune in next week for another episode of Through Autistic Eyes or whenever you want with the list. So anyway, take care and see you again.